0: This is a crowd Podcast. Hello, I'm Garrett Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Garrett Thomas
1: Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app. Jump on your smart trainer and jump into Zwift. Closer or Welcome. Right, Geron, it is still very dark and cold in the UK, so please make me massively jealous by giving me the highlights of your last few
0: days in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Well, it was lovely, to be honest. Can't complain. It was um, low 20s. Uh, We were staying down in Malibu, right on the sea. Quite a busy road, PCH, but the sea drowned out the car noise. Um, PCH sounds it that much of a local. It's PCH. Yeah, Yeah, well, Pacific Coast Highway is quite a yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's PCH to us locals. The only thing I don't abbreviate is the Garantomas National Valdrome Wales. But um <laughs> we all know about that. Uh, but now it's been great. Actually, you know they have those big Mexican food trucks that all oh, what mainly nice. the workers sort of um use. I've always rode past them thinking, Oh, what wanna try one of them one day? Like and I never have, and then a bit like the cable car in Mount Tidy, mm. except this time actually stopped with Cam. He got a big massive burrito. I just got a single taco, you know, cause I'm an athlete and all, but that was oh, it was lovely. Can't, can't fault that. Should stop on there every ride. You put on our WhatsApp group, you put a
1: picture of a beach, which made me insanely jealous because it's not mm. the sort of weather to go to a beach in the UK. Um, did you swim from the beach? Have you been running through the surf in Baywatch fashion?
0: <laughs> I haven't actually, well, yeah, I did go in the sea, uh, but only the once I didn't go a lot, but, um, that day I sent you the picture, I don't think I did, but it's called Paradise Cove, it is. That's just off the PCH. And, uh... Oh, PC, just off the PCH? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And, um, yeah, the tables, chairs are on the beach, you know, sand under your feet, having your eggs and stuff. Unbelievable the size of them. I don't think I sent you the fi- picture of the food, I'll have to send you a picture of that as well. But, um, yeah, so I was on the mimosas and the tequila sunrise at like 11 a.m., <laughs> living the dream um well hell of a place that is and then yeah just max can just go on the beach and just you know play around and whatever so uh yeah that was good but the training as well which is the whole reason i was there obviously was was really good as well um i think i've said before but you know you think of la if you haven't been here before um you just kind of think oh hollywood and stuff you know and like traffic jams on the highways and things but is actually really good for training once you get out in the hills, which I stay close to them, so it's not too much of a commute for, to get there. So, no, it works really well for January, February. So, yeah, looking forward to the rest of the year now. Just um, had a good block, set myself up, and um back to the day job, back to daily grind. Well, it's not too bad, is it, really? You mentioned Cam G. How
1: is Cam worth? We obviously spoke to him in Series 2. Um, my main memory of that is how affable... And smiley he was. And how often you took the mickey out of his descending.
0: <laughs> yeah, for an Australian, he's actually pretty happy most of the time. Like the Australians seem to be very angry in the peloton anyway. But um, <laughs> no, he's good. The last sort of few days he wasn't with me in, in LA though. He had to go off and uh, he was racing UAE. So it's a bit of a trip that. But I think it must have been four, nine hours behind Europe and then another four in front to so I think he was about 13-hour time change. So, yeah, I'm sure that affected him a bit. But, uh, no, yeah, he's good. Talkative as ever still. Cam FM. So, uh, yeah. Superb. Well, G, before we go any further, let us say a big thank you to the
1: following official GTCC domestiques. So I want to say thank you to Laura Kennedy, to Perea Paridar, to Alexei Shilko, and to Dave Lewowski.
0: And also Dickie G. I don't know if they're taking the piss there. Um, Anton, Ruth, Rod, Michael. Oh shit! What did we say? Dogie, Doig, Dogi. Doig. <laughs> Michael Doig, Dave Sully, and Liz McCormack.
1: And a reminder: if you would like to join their ranks as an official GTCC domestique go to Patreon.com forward slash GTCC to sign up. Let's get a guest on. Ah, you took my line again. <laughs>
0: We all love coffee, don't we, G? Never do this pod without one, Tom. Or a ride, actually. Yeah, there is nothing better than
1: a quick coffee for a cold winter ride or before hopping on Zwift. So, I know we'll both be delighted with the next sponsor of this podcast, Origin Coffee. Also, there is a cheeky discount code we've got for all our listeners. Origin Coffee are one of the
0: leading brands on the coffee scene and they get just how much cyclists love coffee. And get this, Tom Origin's director of coffee. Freder is a three times UK cup tasting champion.
1: Not once, Garrett, not twice, but three times. That is pretty impressive. Would you like another great fact? All online orders are roasted and shipped the very same day. Super speedy, just how we like it on this podcast. They also have a rewards programme, so customers like you and me can earn points and get cash back every time we shop online.
0: So why not try one of their delicious espresso blends or an interesting single origin coffee? There are so many profiles to try and all the coffee comes in home compostable bags. So if you want to order some Origin coffee and get a massive 30% off, just go to origincoffee.co.uk and use the code GTCC30 at checkout. That's the code
1: GTCC30 at checkout. Go and get yours today. Enjoy!
0: So today's episode is a little bit different as we're actually recording this live online with all our Patreon members listening and watching, even though we can't actually see them, but I'm assured, being assured that they can see and hear us. So welcome to you all and thanks for being the official GTCC domestiques. So Tom, this is the first time I'm going to have to do an intro in front of people. Pressure. Other than you and producer Lou. So there is, there is pressure on my reading skills. Right, here we go. Our guest today is cycling agent Andrew McQuaid. <laughs> it's that simple. I think I think producer Lou was kind to me there. Thanks. Yeah, well I, I thought, appreciate it. I thought I'd just um, let you give a brief description about yourself, what you do. I know that's a cop out, but you know it's it's my podcast, do what I want.
2: <laughs> uh, good to be here. Thanks for the uh, glowing introduction, there, G. Um, so yeah, I am Andrew McQuaid. I work as a cycling agent. Run I run Trinity Sports Management Limited how i kind of fell into it my background well i I come from a strong cycling family everyone from my grandfather his brother my father my six uncles my brother my cousin i we all raced to various levels and so i played rugby as a kid but none of my family talked to me so i had to switch to cycling um i Mm -hmm. uh i went to junior worlds at whatever 18 but kind of Wasn't really that good. So I went to university, studied law, kept racing, tried to turn pro for a couple of years after that, lived full time in Belgium. Realized then I definitely wasn't good enough, packed it in, moved home, uh, and then did some studies and some work. I did New York bar, worked in Deloitte. But Around 2008, while I was actually working in Deloitte, I started helping riders that I had raced with who were my mates who had turned pro because it was a completely different landscape in the sport of cycling back then. Very few English speaking riders don't think there was an english-speaking agent yeah it was just a nice hobby I was working with Phil digna and Nico Roach who are like good friends of mine and then I moved over here and team Sky started and I uh, was kind of right place right time right qualifications right name um, and started signing new writers till it got to the end of 2012 and I realized I kind of had two full-time jobs I was managing bike riders and potentially working 90 hours a week in a corporate law firm so i had to i was doing both jobs 50 50 so i had to make a choice of what i did so that was quite easy choice and set up trinity sports management then in 2013 then yeah trinity, trinity sports management's now grown it's probably it's one of the kind of larger more established english speaking agencies uh we are bread and butter is managing bike riders and yeah we own and run trinity racing which is a theme i'm very proud of a, a development team that is kind of um yeah, it's been around for a couple of years now, and is in my mind going quite well. And here I am.
0: When you say Trinity uh, racing, just briefly on that, obviously Tom Pickcock came through there. Big Ben, who's in our team, had a first big win of the, well, of his pro career last week. Obviously, what's his name? Go Glog Glog Go. Thomas
2: Glog, <laughs> very talented mountain climber from Central London near Herne
0: Hill. <laughs> He's just turned pro with Jumbo. Yeah, it's doing well, isn't it? It's, um. Because back in the day with when I was under 23 and that, for a start, we didn't have any teams we could race for. It was either GB Academy or go off to France or Belgium. That's a big difference. And now it just seems like there's always British riders turning pro like year in, year out. Whereas with me, it was like rare to have anyone go pro really. So. That's changed a lot. Hasn't yeah, it?
2: like Team Team Sky and GB success at the Olympics and Team Sky was definitely the instigator in um, British cycling that inspired you guys, you're a little bit older, the guys below you to really see what is possible and open the doorway, the pathway to see that you can actually turn pro. The kind of the development side years ago, back when, yeah, we started racing, you know, I remember racing against you in Tour Wales back in 2002, I think it was. You raced against me? Yeah, June Tour of Wales.
0: No, we were under sixteen at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were much older than me. We were
2: all no, I'm not. <laughs> I just look it. <laughs> but yeah, back then it was like there was no FaceTime, no no uh, no internet really. If you wanted to make it as a pro, you had to move to France six months. If you wanted the internet, you probably had to go to an internet cafe. Like it was a lot harder back then. Whereas these days, with technology, they they can—you don't miss people. You're on FaceTime, WhatsApp, whatever it is, and there are established development teams which you can go to. It is getting worse, to be honest. The way the sport is going, pro world tour teams are trying to attract and sign younger and younger riders. So personally i'm actually quite concerned about the under 23 level because i do think it's a very important stepping stone for any rider to go through before they turn world tour so yeah these jg these days if you're if you're a good junior you can go world tour straight out of it it's a it's a completely different kettle of fish
1: andrew we have had uh loads of questions in from our gtcc members which we're going to get through in this episode but should we start with a very simple one and that is what exactly does a contract agent do
2: The main thing, the most important thing is negotiate the contract between the rider and the team. (coughs) So there's 18 World Tour teams in the top division, which I think is around 530 riders. Then obviously we manage second division and then younger guys. As I'm sure G will agree, the most important thing he has going on is the contract that he has with the team. That decides everything. It decides who he rides for, what he wears, what bike he rides, how much he gets paid, who coaches him, it's the most important thing. So us, me as an agent, I'm the kind of middleman between the rider and the team.
0: So when you say that then, what happens if I've got two teams after me? How old am I going to say I am? Well, I'm, I'm my age now. Oh, there's me now and then there's me at 21. So I've got two teams after me. One's offering a lot more, the other one less, but the other one's probably more suited to me and my characteristics, I'll be happier, blah, blah, blah. You as an agent... I know what you're gonna say, but be honest now. You said you're gonna be g honest. G honest. What are you gonna uh, advise me to do?
2: So, the honest truth is
0: obviously the more I sign for, there's the more money you make, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, more I make because I agents earn a commission of the rider's contract. But I've been doing this a long time now, 15 years, or whatever. Like I know the life cycle of a bike rider and. Some may say they're gonna be different, etc., but it's not the case. When you're any rider now is 18, 19, 20, 21, they absolutely love riding their bike. All they want to do is turn pro. It's the complete dream. Money, once they have enough money to buy a bit of food, parents are supporting them, team, paying them a little bit, they don't care. It's they just love it. They turn pro and they're they're in living the dream. They're getting paid to ride their bike, they're moving to Andorra or Monaco or traveling the world. Like they love it. So that's 23, 24. You get to 25, 26. Things get a bit more serious. The rider also starts to find his place within the peloton. They know if they're going to be massively successful or if they're going to be a domestique, a lead out man, etc. And then by the time you're, gee, what do you reckon? 28. When did it happen for you? And it has happened for you. Don't don't lie. When you're 28, 29, it's like it's a job. You are doing a job. You're married, kids, mortgage. You still love it. You still love riding your bike. You still love racing. But you realize you've sacrificed so much to get to where you are. You've given up education early. You've, I would say, this sounds a bit harsh, but you've no, you've not many other life skills apart from riding your bike very well. And in, you start to see retirement in four or five, six years time. And you know, one day you're going to not have a contract. You're going to get paid whatever it is, December from your last team. Come January, you're not going to get paid ever again. And then it's about, not 100% about the money, but it's largely about the money. Your elder statesman years, (laughs) gee. You still want to ride the bike race, but you want to get paid as much as you can. I'll I've got to say one more thing. As an agent, I I don't get me wrong, I'm running a business. I have my own family to support, I have my own mortgage, like I want to make money, of course I do. Um but I'm comfortable enough to be able to think long term to make if I sign a rider at twenty-two, if I'm making if the, if I advise them to make the wrong decision, so I get an extra two, three, four, five grand per year off that in the short term, like that it is very short-sighted. What I need to make sure I'm doing is advising that rider to uh, develop themselves as best as they can be. So when they are 26, 27, 28, or it's getting a bit younger now, they're making three, four, five, six million. So I'm making a lot more money. Kind of, it is a long game. It's not. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's if they're, I need to make sure they make as much as possible because then it benefits
1: all of us. Gee, I think we should have a question here from Alistair Steele. Because um, this is a personal question, Andrew, how much does an agent charge? Or same way of asking uh, a different question, what's your cut? Uh,
2: so all agents charge different. I like, I am happily and, and luckily running a private business. So I don't, uh, I don't say what I'm earning, but average is kind of between on a team contract insight and between five and 12 I've even heard 13 percent. so it depends on the agencies depends on the country of where the agent is what's normal like I think American agents do charge a bit more because I think that's just what they charge over there the price I charge with I am very happy I'm very comfortable and happy that I provide the value that merits that percentage and then on top of that there is um, you charge a higher percentage on commercial deals that you're able to get for the rider but to be honest there as G knows they are they are there for the really, really top guys, but it's very hard to get them for pro cyclists. That could be, and that could be up to twenty percent kind of commission on commercial.
0: Yeah, commercially, the average is probably around twenty. But could you imagine having given twenty percent of your rider contract away? That will be crazy. But um, I'm all up. I'm all ears. <laughs> with Trinity, have you kind of got like a little monopoly on that team? Like, yeah, you can ride for this team, but I'm your agent, so I'm <laughs> going to look after you.
2: I have to, to be honest, because. <laughs> At the continental level, which is what we race at, we're a road and mountain bike team. It is really hard to find sponsors because we're not. We don't race on TV much. We do live and die on social media, and we're we, I put a big effort into the social media. But to be honest, I, I, up to now, I've probably put in, or probably or definitely have put in over six figures, kind of per year to keep that team afloat. The problem is I don't have a budget. I have some great sponsors and specialized trams Swift, who that do provide. The best equipment and cash, which really helps me. But um Trinity Sports Management underwrites the year, and I like it. Things done right, so I want the team to be done right. So if my like I've Pete Kennock and um, John Mould running the team for me now, and if they come to me and say, Look, we Pete Kennock, for example, came to me last week. I really want to do an altitude camp in May with these riders, it's going to cost this much. Is it in the budget? And I said, Look, it's not in the budget, but I'll find the money. If you think it's necessary and it's a good thing, let's just do it. To do that, the only way I can really it's a passion, but the way I can justify that as a business is because we manage the individuals. So when we turn pro when they turn pro, we get a return on investment.
0: So how's um uh like contracts changed now then? Seeing we're talking about young riders now. You know, because there's a lot of hype, as you said before, you know, younger and younger they're turning pro. Has that changed negotiations? Like how you must be dealing with so many more younger guys than you're used to. That's got to be tricky in itself. Like some of them, well, haven't... You know, you talked about lifestyle as well. Like they get to 30 odd, and the guys these days, they definitely lack in more just life skills because they've just been in this... Been paid a lot from 18. They've been looked after. They're the, the centre of the universe, you know? Um that must be a big change, no?
2: For me personally, actually the biggest change, despite the fact that I look so much older than you, G, me kind of effectively growing up the past 10, 15 years, it's been with guys like you, Luke Rowe, Ian Stannard, Rowan Dennis, Richie Porsche all similar age. And as an agent, it's very, uh, you become mates with the person because you are similar age, you're going through the same things. It's fine now. It is a completely... Um, cultural type shift for me as an agent to be dealing with 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds. Some of them are obviously very mature, some are immature, they're all lovely people, but it is a different, uh, it's a different job now.
0: What about parents? Do you have to deal with parents a lot then, at that when they're that age?
2: I like to include, if they're under 18, I have to include their parents. Like I don't have to, but they need to be included because I don't think an under 18 year old, an under 18 year old needs their parents. At that point, most parents, particularly the ones I've come across in Britain, America, like they've helped their child get to that place. They've driven them around the country to races, cycle cross. They've spent Christmases in Belgium bringing their kids to races. Like They kind of deserve to be involved and they want the peace of mind that they're effectively handing over their child to somebody who uh, they feel they're, they're putting their child into capable hands. Some parents want to be more involved than others. That's fair enough. Some some don't. Some are happy to pass over. That's their own choice. But it's always good to know them and and also get their advice because you need to know what that 18-year-old is like. As you said, kind of which team to go to. Once, If you can get to know the rider's personality a bit better, you know what team might suit them better. So you can make a better decision for that rider the more you know him. And to do that, you talk to as many people as you can that know the child or the rider.
1: Do you find, Andrew, that... that Teams come to you and ask you to find a particular type of rider, or are they after a specific rider? How does this process work?
2: Yeah, like I'm quite lucky now because I've been doing it so long, I do know all the teams and team managers. So, the way we work it around now, kind of usually I got it down under, I didn't this year, which uh, was very sad. I just start talking to team managers where, where, and it, it's getting earlier and earlier, but now it's like, okay, where's your roster at? Who are you looking for next year? What type of rider? So they won't know exactly, usually they won't know exactly who they want, but they know they want to find a sprinter or more climbing support or a young guy. And then I look at who's available uh, that I manage and kind of try and match it up. So it's it's like, it's just a communication between team and myself to, to see what they want and to see if I've anything that
0: suits. I think it's only natural that you're going to be closer to some teams than other agents and other agents are going to have, be a bit closer with other teams, right? Yeah. It must be a, do you find you're a bit, is that competitiveness within the agents? Like, you know, there's got to be a bit of like trying to get one over each other, even with the teams, when you're negotiating with teams, like the one thing I've always had against agents, now don't say this personally, as in a, a group of like agents in general, is you're whether I'm right or wrong, I always think if they've got a lot of riders, they can easily use a few pawns, like yeah, um, lower see. salary guys to sort of like, oh yeah, you know, Sort these guys out, and then you know when the bigger guy, we can do something with him, or you know, kind of use other riders to get bigger money for somebody else. There must be a lot of that going on.
2: Yeah, uh, well, answer to answer your first point, there is rivalry between agents. I won't name names. Most of us get on really well, and um, most of us are very respectful. The kind of established agents are respectful to each other. And
0: well, your cousin's an agent, right, Gary?
2: We we communicate. We know who we manage. If if he's trying to sign a rider. If he's signed a rider, I won't try poach him anything like that. There are some agents who don't care. They're well known. They will try poach riders, they'll email riders. They just don't care, and that that does really bug me because there are enough riders. There's enough business out there. You don't need to be that um uh, that much of a dickhead, to be honest.
0: Huh. I had someone come after me a few years ago. You know.
2: Yeah, of course you did. you've had everyone, everyone. I'd, say, I'd say, I won't name names, but I'd say now at least two agencies
1: who have tried to sign you.
0: <laughs> Andrew obviously looks after me, by the way. Mm, this is getting interesting. Uh, were you tempted, G? Um, no, I wasn't tempted at all, to be honest, because, well, our relationship started in 2010, I think, when Sky, no, maybe it was my first contract after that. So maybe it's when I renewed with Sky.
2: So back then, you, like you, Stannard, Pete, you're all, Luke, you're all... And most riders got their first pro contract without an agent. And it was then that I started working with you. Now, like, a good 18-year-old. There's probably no good 18-year-old who doesn't have an agent or they're talking to agents like it's got that much younger. So I think we were definitely working together by 8 mm. um, 2012,
0: yeah. So basically, it was pretty clever what Andrew did, basically. He said, look, I'll sort out this contract for you. I won't take a cut. I won't take any commission. But I'll just help you out because don't want me to just get flicked by the team, basically, because I was... I was pretty old by then, but, you know, naive to the whole that side of things. And it's quite hard, when, especially when you're young and you're trying to talk about money and how much you're worth and trying to get something out of someone. So he did that for me for nothing. And then obviously then the next contract, he started taking his commission and whatever. And we've just stayed ever since.
2: Particularly for you, because you've not, you you would have been riding under Dave Bailford for how many years before Team Sky? Four, five, six, Rod? So for you, yeah,
0: 2007, probably.
2: Exactly. You don't want no before you don't you you and Dave and Rod wanted to focus on how they were going to make you a better bike rider. All the chatter and noise about contracts because it can get quite heated. You don't as a rider. You don't want that because you don't want that to interfere with your relationship with the team or the team staff. So that's why I think it's good. Someone like 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 me or agents can come in. Be the hated person, be the agent in the middle, the, the money grabbing agent, but at least it protects your relationship. And once the contract's done, m- most teams are good. It's like, right, contract's done, let's park, let's focus on whatever you want to focus on.
1: Here's a nice question from uh, one of our GTCC members, Andrew. This is question is from Heather. Heather would like to know if the languages spoken at a team factor into the team's recruiting.
2: Yeah, 100%. And it goes back to what G was mentioning there about being closer to certain teams. So we do mainly manage English-speaking riders. Um, we have some Scandinavians and some Latvians, etc. But English-speaking, they're obviously attracted to the English-speaking teams, which luckily there are more and more from Ineos, Jumbo, Takunik. English is the largest language in the Peloton now. But by and large, the French teams would prefer French riders. They speak French around the table. And... Um, from my side, like uh, Thomas Globe, who you mentioned, I don't particularly think he should go into a foreign-speaking team. He's a young guy. He has lived in London all his life. There's a lot of change going on. If he suddenly goes to a team and he's sitting around a dinner table and he's not having a chat and he can't speak the language, like he's going to become unhappy and an unhappy bike rider is not going to perform. So that thinking about the culture of the team to fit the rider is extremely important. The older they get... Like G there, he could probably go to any team because he knows so many riders in the peloton. He probably doesn't want to even talk it to the table in any He just wants to go, play <laughs> time with his wife and kid. Like, and then he has huh. in the peloton. He doesn't need that, but young guys do.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like that was one of the big. Obviously, it's been mentioned a lot now. Like my contract last. No, when was it? In twenty twenty one. Those negotiations with the the worst and hardest I've ever had. But um, the main reason for staying was because. The, the, the boys in the team basically and the staff you know I knew everyone I was happy there and I was like I don't know how much longer I'm going to race for but I want to enjoy that time I don't want to not that I wouldn't enjoy it say I went to Movistar um, obviously I'd get on with them and stuff but it's more of an effort isn't it you got to get to know people the language barrier as we said whereas yeah when you're in a team and you you can really get on with people because you speak the same language the same culture the same sort of humour yeah, why, why would you change? you got to, at the end of the day, as Evie Richards said, you got to enjoy it.
2: Being a cyclist, that pro cyclist is so damn hard that you just got to make it easier on yourself. You're still training, training whatever, 30, 35 hours a week. You need to, if you're not enjoying it when you're off the bike, it's just going to get miserable at whatever age you are.
0: And that's the, that is the big thing you see, like when you see some riders like, wow, that dude was so good when he was in quick step, just picking a team now he's in some French team, how's he going so bad, you know, and like, I'd say it's mainly due to that, the enjoyment and the the culture shift and everything, and some teams just don't work for some people, and it is a bit boring that I've stayed in the same team to some from the outside, you know, like, why don't you change and see something different, but when something works, you know, like, you can adapt it and, and change bits of it, but I don't think it needs a massive, uh, Yeah, you still want at the end of the day, you want to be successful, don't you, and enjoy it.
2: And they know you. They know how you work. They know what you need. They know how to get the best out of you. It doesn't obviously things go wrong, but like starting that again with a whole new coaching structure, a whole new DS staff like that takes two, three, four years to really get to know each other. And for you, it'd be too late. So I don't don't change it if it's not
0: broken. I'm going to 2030 now, mate. (laughs) Another seven years. This is what happens when you wake up in Los Angeles. <laughs> Let's zoom out a little bit,
1: Andrew. Why isn't there a transfer system in cycling? We're all very used to it in football and it's part and parcel of the sport. Um, do you think it will ever happen in cycling or is the culture totally different?
2: Great question. It's, personally, I wish it did happen because my development team would uh, be making money out of it. But th- So there is a transfer window. Um, the UCI introduced this recently because there was some... Um, guys retiring mid-year signing for a different team so there is a transfer window which is first of august to the 14th of august each year and in order to transfer teams in that period uh three parties have to it's there's a few rules you're not supposed to talk to anybody before the first of august and the uci and two teams have to agree etc so we actually i think i was the first to negotiate that uh, for rowan dennis a good few years ago that he did do that transfer however there was no fees there's nothing like that from, to be honest, from a development point of view, it's it is. I'm lucky I have the business element where we manage riders, but it's really difficult to invest so much money and to try and find partners. Like we're desperate to find more sponsorships. It's really hard to find money, and then you develop these guys. You put a lot into them time, effort, money, and then they disappear to the big team, which is what you're trying to do. But you obviously don't. The normal development teams, the Axions, the uh, whoever it might be, uh, don't get anything back, and it makes it very difficult. However financially cycling is unfortunately nowhere near football the amount of money that goes on in football is a lot greater than cycling so if you're suddenly trying to impose financial burdens on world tour teams who are already stretched financially that's not going to work either so in my mind The sport as a whole needs to be elevated. More revenue needs to come into the sport before then looking at how that can be spread evenly amongst the... Not evenly, but fairly amongst the sport so everyone benefits.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Tom. Like, you need... It's the cycling in general that needs to get more money in first. Because if you start... If teams have to pay twice almost, pay the team for a rider and then pay the rider, it's just not going to survive. You know, there'll be four teams left. So, um... Yeah, without it turning into something different, different podcast, but we need UCI to sort of like develop the sport a bit, you know, make it more commercial, make it more appealing, get some more sort of big money in like instead of being stuck in the 70s, 80s. But
1: I,
2: I will say teams are getting, in my mind, and I don't know what you think, teams are, there are a lot more stable and financially sound teams around and there has been a long time. Like I remember back 2012, 2013, like every year teams were folding now. Unfortunately, last year there was that debacle around um, B&B where poor Cavendish got stuck in. So it still does happen. But the team, the good teams that are there now are very well supported, very well resourced. So hopefully that continues to grow. Like it's quite stable. It's still reliant on rich individuals and governments. There's not a lot of like... Independent sponsorship,
0: but I think franchises,
2: yeah, mm. it is definitely growing. Hopefully, we've all talked about this Netflix uh, documentary. Hopefully, that does help. I'm a little bit skeptical because they're releasing so many different sports at the moment, it might just get a little bit lost. I don't think it will be similar to Formula One, but hopefully, it gets people more interested in cycling. There is, I personally, I think the big gap at the moment. Is that there are so many people riding a bike in the UK, in Australia, in America, there. People love riding a bike, particularly after COVID, the lockdown, but they don't follow professional cycling. Whereas pretty much any kid or adult who kicks a football around and plays football does follow professional football. So I think whoever or however that link between the normal person who rides a bike, if they can start following the sport, following the people, then money will really start to flow into it because they'll see how great a sport it is. But I just think that connection is missing at the moment.
1: With football, when a free transfer takes place, often you find them, some of the money that would have been spent on the transfer fee goes to the player and thus the agent. So if one of the big names in cycling were to move teams at the end of their contract, whether it's a, a Pogaccio or a Van Aert, whoever it is, a Garrett Thomas in his younger days, um, does some of that money go into the contract then? Or is there just no spare money whatsoever? That the budgets are so tight that it is what it is.
2: It's more like football. They seem to sign longer term contracts, and then right, or footballers always transfer when they still have years to go on their contract. Cycling's not. It's getting like that, but usually the average is a two. Maybe if you're lucky, a three year contract. That's what the case has been. A lot of riders get one year contract. Now there are longer term contracts coming into play. We it's public so I don't mind saying that Tom Pickock signed we managed it signed a five-year contract project card, I think is signed till 26 or 27 at Russo so I think that might start coming into play if in three years time suddenly somebody wants a Russo so badly they're willing to pay the team to break the contract to then take him but at the moment contracts are calendar year G's contract is up on 31st of December of 2023 and if he wants to move team start somewhere else first of january he's perfectly within his right to do that and there's no fee to be paid so it has happened a few times like i think there there was a rider who transferred this year from Dukunik last year to ef education he was up for contracts i don't know what it was it wasn't involved but i'm sure they negotiated some kind of release fee to Dukunik, and now he rides for ef education but it, it is unusual
0: I was going to say one thing that could change that was the whole Remco saga. Like, obviously, I don't know. I haven't spoke to Rod or Dave about it, to be honest, just seen stuff in the press. But obviously, there's a lot about Remco, world champion, won the Vuelta. And then there's a lot of rumours like, oh, Ineos are after him and trying to break the contract. And, you know, they would have had to pay. I don't know. I heard rumours that the the contract wasn't the best in Remco's favour. It was heavily towards Lefebvre and Quick Step, the team. But won't go into details because I don't know them, but basically, yeah, if if something like that did happen, like Remco, I think he's got two or three years left, if I'm right.
2: Yeah, he's a long-term
0: guy. Yeah, I think that that could start changing the game, but do you, do you enjoy the game? Do you enjoy like this? Yeah. The back and forth and, you know, you, you're Irish, of course you're going to probably, but...
2: There's two things I love. I love helping young riders, like genuinely, but then which is a passion and it's a big cliche, but I love say G junior contractor, pay Cox contract, like the challenge of getting the best deal possible and then hopefully succeed. Like I love it's a game. Like it is a game. It's a, you're bluff. You're not bluffing, but you're like, you're trying to get the best deal possible. So you're using all your tactics, all your knowledge, all your contacts to try and do that. And that's a game. And yeah, I get a, I get good kick off that when I win uh, the best deal is when everyone is happy. Yeah. But I do like to make sure it's the best deal. But on the Remco saga, I have a question for you, G, and Tom. So if you're, and I don't know the details either, I don't know if it happened, I've just read the same things you've read. If you're Patrick Lefebvre and you have Remco who just won the VALTA for uh, whatever he signed for two, three, four, five more years with the team. And Jim Ratcliffe, who we all know, Ineos does have or access to a lot of cash. If you're Patrick Lefebvre, who I think is the person who can sign away Remco and say, yeah, you can break your contract. How much money you have to be paid to make that happen. What has to go into your personal bank account legally and pay tax, whatever, to be like, okay, Remco, <laughs> you're the Belgian star. I'm a Belgian team. This might end the team because all the sponsors are probably here for you. But w- what's that figure? I've asked a few different people that. It's interesting.
0: Well, I think you can, for a start, you can see why the romantic side of Remco and Patrick, why they want to stick together, Belgians. Try and win the tour. Like, Quickstep never won the tour. Um, You know, I don't know when the last Belgian to win. Probably Merckx, I don't know. It's been a long time. You can kind of get that romantic side, but then being an athlete and being clinical about it, Quickstep aren't a grand tour team, really. Like they did really well to win the Vuelta, but the squad they have, the team they could line up, I think they could get a good team on the, on the, on the start line, for sure. But whether they have the guys in the mountains to... Really support him is a challenge. I don't know who they've. You're
2: thinking about Remco and how much he gets paid. How much does Patrick?
0: Sorry, yeah, true. Give us, give us a figure, G. Yeah,
2: what goes into your bag? Well, back so back of let's
0: for sake. For sake, Remco's. Jim's just said to you how much. <laughs> say Remco has got this year and next year, two years, and me being Patrick, I've got to pay him. I don't know. Let's make up three and a half, three and a half mil. I would say at least that. At least the value of his contract. So I won seven mil. I think
1: you would be a terrible negotiator, and I can see why you've got Andrew on your side. Jim Radcliffe has got eighteen
0: billion quid, and you've yeah, just gone he's got seven 18 million billion quid because he's not stupid, mate. Like <laughs> he is. I've met him a few times. Super nice guy, but he's careful with his money. He's not just going to buy something for the sake of buy it, you know. Like, but yeah, I get your point. He is. He does really want to win the tour uh, again because we won it with Egan when Ineos first came on board. He really wants to be successful in the tour, so maybe he would get a bit emotional with it. But he's a businessman and you know successful, so he's. I'm pretty sure he won't get emotional with stuff. But yeah, I'd say the value of his contract at least. And then okay, you might add, you might be a bit ballsy and then chuck in another ten mil to see if you can get away with it.
2: Patrick is the team owner of a Belgian team and sells the Belgian star. He can't show his face in Belgium again. There's a very personal issue.
0: Yeah, but if he's got over 10 mil in his back pocket, he wouldn't want to stay in Belgium, would he? Well, exactly. <laughs> is it 10 mil? be in the Biamas. Is
2: it, is it 20? I don't know. Anyway, sorry, I digress. I just think it's a very interesting hypothetical situation.
1: It's a very good question. Here is a, a, a very good question from Simon B, who is a GTCC patron and thus is listening to this recording. Hello, Simon. Um, Simon would like to know, um, from you, Andrew, what is the strangest request you have ever seen from a rider in his contract?
2: Well, I would say the strangest request...
0: Don't mention my dog. (laughs) Don't mention my dog. Don't mention that bit. No problem.
2: The strangest request I've had is when I had a phone call asking to release to help a rider get out of jail. Um, But that wasn't the contract. We kept that away from the team strangest request nothing like it's all standard it's they want business class flights if they can get them they want freedom to do other activities like skiing etc because a lot of teams don't want them doing that i've had a few riders contact me it's 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 more random to have a rider riders don't like paying for stuff g included so if he can get something for free even if it's 200 quid he'd prefer to try get it for free so I've had riders contact me looking, I get them a free mattress, <laughs> yeah. old oh, Luke Rowe there, he contacted me, I got him a free baby pram when he had his first kid, like that's, that's the funnier thing, they don't like paying. they <laughs> want things for free.
0: Yeah.
2: Socks, all riders love is free pairs of socks. <laughs>
0: what about, what about like, um, so for instance with Sky, it was a big, it, what made that contract hard was not the initial x amount that's where you're going to sign for your salary is everything else like you can't have this personal deal because that clashes with mm. this tiny little thing we've got going on there in the left hand corner that we don't give, really give a shit about but we're going to stop you doing that because that clashes with that that must be the biggest ball like those finer details like i think from what i hear that's what's held up the whole cav thing with so many people was his personal deals so
2: the way cycling works basically to t- you sign for a team they own your image and it- Gee, you are lucky enough if you were able to negotiate some freedoms. And there's maybe ten riders in the world who are strong enough to negotiate freedoms, but most riders hand over their image. So effectively, if a rider wants to do anything outside of a team contract, you need the team's permission. And if you think about it, and this one, I get like a team does not want the rider working with a competitor of a team sponsor like G can't be riding around in a Specialized or a Scotch. Totally get that, has to wear a racer, but The most frustrating thing is if you get a potential deal with a company, the team will ask what sector is it in? The answer I hate getting the most is no, you can't do that because we are talking to somebody in that sector. So we might have a sponsorship. We might have a sponsorship deal in the future. And even though it might be bullshit, they might they might be talking to someone who goes nowhere, but the rider loses the deal. And that's part of the problem with cycling. It's why you don't see many cyclists on billboards or on TV advertisements, because by and large, teams won't allow it.
0: I had that with them. Um, I could have signed a massive yogurt deal. <laughs> but uh CMP were apparently thinking of starting up some breakfast yogurt, so they said, Well, you can you can do it, but cmp are thinking of doing this so we could cut at any moment so
2: it's just you just need to be a bit sensible and like we can if you negotiate a contract that does say what i think it's like okay do the deal but have a break break clause in the contract that if the team finds a sponsor that's a direct competitor that deal has to end
0: what about um like when a, a rider normally a big rider moves to another team takes a mechanic takes a swanee do you get involved with that side of things or like do they become in that contract with the rider or is it like totally separate?
2: Uh, I do to be honest because, but it's that's in my mind, that's part of my job to the rider. So I don't, and you referenced earlier, like I really don't do package deals. Like I don't, I I'm quite um, strong on this that I don't go to a team manager going, right. You can have this rider, but you have to take these other two too. Uh, To me, that's stupid because I need to, I look after every rider individually and particularly the top riders, like as a business, they're my highest earners. So I need to look after them the most. But if a rider like uh, Richie Port, he was moving from track back to sky and he really wanted to bring a mechanic and a funny with him. I knew they were good. Like I had no qualms. They were excellent at their job. So it wasn't um, I did. I helped him and they got the job because it was helping Richie. So he had these two staff members that he wanted in the team with him. So de- I definitely get involved the teams trust me so they know if i say look take this mechanic is good Richie loves him he's good for x y z reason they'll kind of believe me and they'll hire him i don't negotiate their contract
0: no 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 what about if his cab for instance he wants to bring a lead out man with him but you don't own own you don't look after the lead out man but the belgium who no, we don't like you know your <laughs> rival he he looks after him what happens then
2: um the rider. So, well, luckily with Cav, I actually managed Mark Renshaw. But that what well, that got a bit, a bit heated as, as they were changing teams from Step because Mark, at the end of the day, was that bit older, Mark Renshaw, and he kind of had to do what he had to do. He wanted to stay with Cav, but he had options. So that can actually get, I prefer not managing boat riders like that because it can be quite messy. But I have, actually at the moment, I have it with Sam Bennett. So I managed Sam, Ryan and Shane Archbold, who are a great team in um, Bora. One of the best lead-out men that they have is Danny Van Poppel, but I don't manage him. However, luckily the riders are very close, so they talk to each other. They all, I presume, want to stick with each other. Like They are a very good team and are starting to gel well. So I talk to Sam a lot. Sam will keep me informed of anything he hears, and we try and do it. it's, It's not my job to negotiate Danny Van Poppel's contract, but I will do whatever I can that helps Sam.
0: How do you stop just coming from a cynical point of view now? I'm a team. I want to sign Sam. I know he really wants Danny. So I'm going to pay Sam what he wants, but we're going to undercut Van Poppel. It must be hard to keep Van Poppel's price what it should be. You know what I mean?
2: At the end of the day, that's Van Poppel's job. Van Poppel's agent's job then. He has to be, and I'm sure he is, going to the market trying to find what is the value. Like There is the problem. There is no... There's no scale of like what you do to what salary you get. You're, there's no, you, you win a third de France, you get this because it depends on what age you are, stages. So the only way to find out market value is to find out what people will pay. So I'm sure if Danny Van Poppel's agent is talking to teams to see who's interested in him uh, and how much they'll pay, I'm talking to teams about Sam to see who's interested, how much they pay, and then, then it's the rider's choice. All I can say to Sam is like, right, Sam, I have you this deal. <clears throat> so how much you're going to get paid. They want Danny. I don't know what the deal is. You're, I'm sure his agent is talking to him, and then it's Danny's call if he stays or goes. It's uh, or it could be a rider. I'm not saying that. It could be a rider, and uh, gee, you can talk about this. If one who goes, look, that writer's not. He's getting paid fifty grand or less, but actually, I'll give him the fifty grand because I really want to keep him. So riders do do that if they really want to stick together. A higher paid rider will sacrifice a bit of his salary. Gee, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have done that. I'm going to give you some credit there for that.
0: Mm you're very
2: slow to reach to your wallet to buy the coffees but you, you do do that <laughs> uh
0: yeah i won't go into that too much detail we no, don't need yeah, the details but the i'm just saying
2: that does happen and and at the end of the day you're doing it for yourself as well because you want that person beside you because it helps you
0: yeah exactly yeah and when you see especially when it's someone you really believe in and you trust and you got a good relationship with and then you see, they could be basically, you know, talking about being a job. They, you know, they've got kids at home, and so yeah, of course. Like when you see it's not happening, you you do what you can, don't you? So
1: let the speculation begin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no names, don't worry. <laughs> I have got some Dave B questions for you, Andrew. So one of my favourite Garant stories is when Garant attempted to negotiate with Dave Brailsford um, about the value of his contract after drinking how many Belgian beers was it, G?
0: Well, oh, I think Dave had a good seven or eight. I probably okay. had the same, actually. Yeah. Okay. So,
1: Andrew, how do negotiations with Dave B What are the best tactics to use?
2: Ah, uh, I like Dave a lot.
0: You've got to be part psychologist, haven't you, with all the different agents and how they all—they're all different, aren't they? Different triggers.
2: They all have big egos. Uh, I, Riders, I have a big ego. Team managers have a big ego. So it's just getting to know them getting to know what works and also getting their trust i think is important if they trust you that you're not a complete gangster and you're actually doing a good job for your rider or the best job possible i think like i've gone to war with some team managers i won't name names but i've i've said things to team managers that made my own skin crawl (laughs) uh, but it was i was doing it because it was what was best for the rider and i had to do it and luckily that team manager once we got the deal done shook hands moved on not a problem um Dave like Dave I have a lot of respect for him. he's a very smart man he's done so much to help cycling British cycling you guys and yeah it's just it's just trying to get him it is trying to get him at the right moment uh I won't it's not Dave another deal and I won't name names the best deal I actually ever did was over three and a half bottles of wine with a team manager in the tour Yorkshire yeah <laughs> he, uh, he liked the wine and like I knew it was the best way to get him and um, Get him on board, so we did have a big dinner. And I remember going to bed at about one a.m. and like I I was looking sideways. And this team manager was a good bit older than me. Next morning I see him, he'd already done like fifty K in his bike before the stage. He was as fresh as a daisy. I was absolutely hanging. But we got the deal done that night and we were <laughs> finalizing a few weeks later. And I said to him, Man, don't forget Jim, this part of the deal. Uh and uh he like, oh, was, was like, remember we talked about that at the and he's like, Oh yeah, I vaguely remember about that. Yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> so it just depends on the team <laughs> manager and the relationship. They're all uh, they all work differently.
0: So what about relationship with riders? Like I'm gonna blow my own trumpet a bit, but I feel like I'm pretty low maintenance. Like you do my contract and then we keep in touch, but it's nothing really work related as such. But some riders won't name names again, but they can be a lot more demanding, and you have to sort of be, yeah, work a lot more with them. And also sometimes, again, not really with me, but with some teams, you see that if they got an issue with the rider, they tend to go to the agent rather than the rider sometimes as well. How is it? How is it balancing all that?
2: It like my wife will sometimes say, "I've like I'm always on my phone. I have twenty or thirty different girlfriends that I have to keep happy." Um, it just depends on the rider. Some right, all writers are different. You're all a bit crazy in your own way. You are all successful because you're all a bit tapped, <laughs> and that usually, the more successful you are, the more tapped you are. So yeah, it's just dealing with the writers in a different way, what they need, um, and that's the job. Like trying to, I do find you can do a better job when you know the writer and you know the person, you know what makes them tick. It can be quite frustrating sometimes when you have to do a lot of work and it can be unnecessary and um, Things could be a lot easier, but yeah, it's the job.
0: Who's the hardest to deal with then? Come on, give us one name.
2: <laughs> uh, the mo- I'll, I'll talk about him actually, and I don't think it mind me mentioning. The, not the hardest, but the most interesting and uh, exciting journey I've gone, I'd say, is probably with Rowan Dennis.
0: I was going to say that, yeah. <laughs>
2: I've managed him for 13 years. Honestly, Rowan is a great guy. He's an unbelievable bike rider. He's an unbelievable teammate. He's an unbelievable professional. But he is a, a very particular individual. But like I do genuinely really like him. And he's had some issues with teams. And to be honest, usually... Whenever he's had an issue... I'll say, well, I don't want to go into too much detail. It's his personal business. Whenever he's had an issue and it's blown up or whatever, he's completely right. He does There have been issues and things have not been done properly. Um, so... He is very professional. He gives 100% and he expects 100% back. Problems arise if you if he thinks people aren't giving him 100% back. But I wouldn't change working with him for the world. It was uh, because he just announced his retirement there last week. he's retiring at the end of this year. so I would be sad to see him go. little less stress in my life. And I look forward to gee, you can come with us. We're going to his wine cellar in Adelaide next year and uh, he's not allowed veto anything we pick to drink.
0: Oh, no, I'm going to sign up for Tour Down Under then. Yeah, fat. If I'm still riding. Watch this space. But um, what about when a rider retires, like Richie, do you still work with them at all or is it just a friendship then?
2: Uh, it's a friendship, but I try to help. Like I, I do feel like I have a duty of care. My main duty of care um, is to feel I have to riders that when they retire, they've done the best with their money financially. They've got the best contract. So when they do retire, they're not financially screwed. So we really focus on that from a young age now of like, right, okay, you're earning 100 grand. Let's start setting you up with a pension or an accountant or a tax tax advisor. Richie's had a very successful career. He's moved home to Tasmania as well, but I still talk to him probably every second, third day, just catch up as mates. He I'm like, I know he lives in Australia now. I don't have a network of commercial uh, corporate contacts there. So he will probably. There is someone I'm talking to will stay involved, will be involved to help him there with some stuff and I'll stay involved. I'll invite because I'm a lawyer, I'll invite him on the contracts. He, he trusts me. Um And yeah, trying to help guys when they do retire, I think is very important because it, it's a complete change for the rider. You you drop off a cliff and some guys take it really badly. And um, like Ian Stannard, one of your DSs now, like it was, I, I was proud to be able to take him on to Trinity Racing. He ran the team for me the past two years. He retired early he to, for a medical reason. And he I think he would have been lost. But I, he came into Trinity Racing. He did an absolutely fantastic job. He learned a lot. And now he's gone into Ineos. And I think he'll really just kick on and be successful there. That's something I'm very proud of. And happy I could help him with. And yeah, some guys. Gee, I think you'll disappear to LA. Or you'll disappear to your wedding venue in Wales. Or I don't think you'll need too much. But yeah, just, it depends on the rider. They need help. I'm loyal. I've worked like Richie, Rowan, Ian. I've managed them for 10 years. I've made good money off them. Like I kind of have to help and
1: I want to. I've got a question for you, Andrew, from Kate Creedon. And Kate would like to know, what is changing for female riders in terms of representation and contract negotiation now and into the future?
2: It's a good question. Female cycling, as in female sport, is definitely on a massive upward trajectory, which is great to see. To be fair to the female side of professional cycling, like I will be honest, I don't manage many professional female bike riders um, and I'm not shy in saying it's a business reason. Like I am trying to run a business and I have bills to pay, lights to keep on and the money just hasn't been there. I have so much respect for female pros because they put in the same work, the same sacrifices as those guys and get a quarter of the reward. However, luckily and hopefully it is definitely increasing. There's a, a much stronger base of good female teams they are getting good salaries the top females are actually starting to get paid properly well from a contract i don't again i'm not intimately involved i know there's something called a cycling alliance which i have a lot of respect for it's a female-led kind of um rider uh, union union rider union that's the word Who have done a fantastic job of because there hasn't been too many agents involved in female cycling? They have set up this union and got right people in so females can go to them for advice on contracts, etc. And to be honest, like it's going to go the same way as men's acting. 10 years ago, I had no competition, there was no agent. If I wanted to sign a rider, I'd go talk to them, do my pitch. No one else was talking to them, I could sign them. Now, Oh, there's ten agents I'm always competing against. Female cycling will get like that. It's not quite there yet, but it's going to get there in the next. Hopefully, for them, in the next five ten years.
0: There's quite a few riders that have gone into that as well, haven't they? Like Quinziato, Lombard overseas, bit older now, but Robbie Hunter kind of did for a bit. I don't know if he still is, but
2: yeah, no, no He he runs a very good um agency. It's kind of like it's hard. The problem I find at the moment is. I, back then, used to see you were, what, 21, 22 when I signed you. Like, you were a bit more worldly, a bit more. You knew, knew what the world was about. Now, what really, and I think the UCI need to step in on this, the um, riders are being signed at 16, 17. So an agent can go and sit in front of a 16-year-old, 17 and, 17-year-old, and seventeen and their parents who aren't from cycling and don't know anything. They can just say all the right things because it's easy to say the right things. And that rider will sign with that agent. And that's that's the way it's going. And that agent might be completely useless, but he can say the right things in the moment, sign the rider. And that can be very much to the detriment of the bike rider. It seems to me to be like a bit of a race to the bottom. um, And with more and more competition of agents coming in, because people are seeing that there's more and more money in cycling. It's more stable. So more people are going, well, I can be an agent ex-bike riders. And some are. Kinsey's really good. Robbie's a good agent. Like some are really good. Some are really bad. And then unfortunately, if you sign, you can sign an agency contract at 16. You don't know what you're doing and you might get led down a wrong path.
0: Well, on that bright note, (laughs) (laughs) I think we've uh, taken too much of your time. I I forgot to mention, actually, have you noticed where I am? Are you in a cupboard? Yeah, I'm in kind of a walk-in wardrobe closet thing. Because? We moved house. We were in uh, Malibu and the sea is actually really loud never oh. thought I'd complain about hearing the noise of the sea. Here we but go, I know Diva. he's a diva. Producer Lou would be kicking off, I'm telling you. So I was like, well, I've got to find a quiet place. So I came into the closet.
1: I'm
2: already scared of her for the trouble I got for not having headphones. So I do apologise.
0: <laughs> but no, no, she's all good. But
2: uh, when are you coming back from your three-month holiday to actually uh, join the cycling world here?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, our next race back is uh, Tirreno. Tirreno, Catalonia, Alps bit of altitude in between hopefully Jiro. and hopefully zero. yeah but as you said at the start i've had such a nice um weather and trip around here while training that's all going to come and bite me on the arse i'm going to be racing in the snow for about three months now probably
2: you'll be on top of the Stelvio. your hands will be so cold you won't be able to put your rain cape on you just remember that yeah. that's we'll, in your near future be stopping
0: to get do it done up oh jeepers but... Oh, but thanks for coming on thanks for your time
2: no worries guys hope the patreons enjoyed it hope uh I didn't waffle on too much
0: they can't answer really can they so I will just say yeah they just loved it, they loved it yeah.
2: the patrons should all if they're still there they should all tweet into the club to say how much money if they were Patrick LeFevre they would have to get paid <laughs> Remco that should be what they do
1: cheers everyone thank you Andrew thank you patrons. thanks for joining us cheers mate thanks everyone Gee, I am delighted to announce that we have got Momentus back on board as a sponsor for a Series 3 of the GTCC. Momentus, a little bit like you, G, are dedicated to optimising both the mind and body, and they're leading the way for high-performance seekers at all levels. Right, so for those not familiar with Momentus, Gee, tell us all about their flagship product.
0: Yeah, so PR lotion is something I've used on my body for years, Tom. It basically delivers bicarb directly to your muscles via your skin and bypasses the gut, which I don't know if you have a drunk bicarb, Tom, but that's a big plus. The best time to use it, I find, is an hour and a half before your workout on Zwift or out on the road or whatever you're doing. And it's not too sticky either. It doesn't get stuck in your hairs if you've forgotten to shave and it definitely helps me train harder. All of this is true, G. It is actually scientifically proven to improve performance and
1: decrease muscle soreness and helps you make all those training goals. If you want to get your hands on some PR Lotion, Momentus are giving GTCC members, that's you
0: listening right now, yes you, 25% off. Give them the code G. Just head over to prlotion.com and use the code GTCC2022 to get 25% off today. Enjoy. Tom, Zwift are back for their third season sponsoring the GTCC. Which means our Wednesday 6pm group rides continue. Exactly. Just hop on your trainer, open up the Zwift app and join the group ride. You get to ride alongside us, all our club members and wear the in-game GTCC jersey. And if you're new to Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial today. During this season of the pod, we're going to be walking you through all the new stuff we've been trying out on the app. Just think of us as your testing team. So Chairman Tom, what have you been trying this week? Well Geraint, Zwift are releasing
1: a new map. And I know a lot of our GTCC members are going to be very excited by this because it's inspired by the city of Glasgow and the rolling countryside of Scotland. It's not a one-to-one replica of a real-world destination like some of Zwift's other maps for, I don't know, London and Paris but it is basically a racer's playground. There's five routes and 58.5 kilometers of new tarmac and gravel as well for you all to go and enjoy. And we'll make sure to line it up for some GTCC group rides in March. Until then, you can ride the new routes or race them in the Ride Scotland events that are on the Zwift event calendar and even unlock a
0: rather snazzy tartan-themed kit. Find out more, go to Zwift.com where you can start your free 14-day trial or by a Zwift Hub. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do.
2: Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips, and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube
1: and on your favourite podcast app.
0: Tom, time for any other business now, and I hear you've got
1: some appointments to make. Always some appointments to make, G. I'm a very busy chairman. As you know, first of all, we are going to appoint two new road captains. So Paul Cackett will be looking after the South Norfolk North Suffolk area. He's an ex-veteran road racer and an experienced club rider so we look forward to hearing about some meetups in that area soon. And we've got another one for Wales G. Alfie Jones has great local knowledge of Swansea and the beautiful Gower Peninsula so thanks to Alfie for putting his hand up to lead
0: in that area. Yes and we're still looking for new road captains who can lead rides in local areas arrange get-togethers for GTCC members, and generally be ambassadors for the club. Check out our Facebook group to download the application form. We also love to hear what you are up to, so please send in pictures, videos, thoughts, anything you
1: fancy really, on the Facebook group. We're on there monitoring it, and also it's a really good place to meet your fellow GTCC members. We've been chatting in the Facebook group this week about some of our members' favourite moments from Series 3. Here is a shout out from Daphid Harrison. Daphid says, Evie Richards and how she emphasised the importance
0: of not taking it all too seriously. And Ian Bisbee fully agreed. Me too, Tom. Uh, Sam Hudson said the graciousness of Vingagore, knowing that Remco is human and Fred Wright, well, just because.
1: Nice. And Archie, who is our GTCC social media guru, has
0: suggested, G, maybe your, quote, Terrible accents. Oh, come on, mate. They're bloody <laughs> bloody oath, mate. They're bloody amazing. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, maybe I can't say Jesus. Crikey. Dingo. My Aussie one's just nailed down, Tom. That was the Aussie one? Okay. <laughs> uh,
1: so we're coming sort of towards the end of Series 3G. It's certainly not over. I know we've got a huge guest to finish the series Um, in the meantime before we get there can you give our members a cheeky sneak peek of who we have next week please
0: well yeah so a bit like this week it's not a rider we're mixing it up Um, but it's someone behind the scenes who does a very very important job some might say the most important and it's something I'm terrible at
1: is it an impressionist who specialises in accents
0: (laughs) Uh, you never know you never know but um Maybe, the yeah, if, if the listeners can want to go over to the Facebook group and throw in some guesses, maybe it is an impressionist, you never know. But, um, yeah, see you next week, Tom. See you then.
1: That was the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to club secretary Louise Gawilliam, heads of music Emma Hickman and Frank Beecher, head of social Archie Biltcliffe, and our honorary president Mike Carr. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.